Testament uh, that is recorded in Scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ preached during His earthly ministry. And it contains in the first part of it what we know as the Beatitudes. And um, so we've been dealing with several of them. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 of chapter 5. We'll read down through verse number 8 this morning. Matthew chapter number 5. And we'll begin in verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And today we're studying verse 8. Blessed are the, uh, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, we come to you once again. We ask that for the next few moments you'll help us to put our hearts and our minds upon the teaching and the preaching of your Word. May your Holy Spirit have free course to do as He chooses. May He speak to hearts, I pray, and do a work that we cannot do. And that, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have our hearts drawn closer to you. My heart's desire, Lord, is that if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, they've never had a time or a place where they have made a conscious decision to not trust their works or their religion, but that they would trust You for their salvation. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would do that. I pray that You'll give us the guidance and direction, the leading as we teach and preach from Your Word. Help us to say the things that You would want us to say. And may we bring honor and glory to You through it. May Your Holy Spirit work in an unusual way today in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 deals with uh, disciples. This is not a message to those that are lost, but those that are already following the Lord Jesus Christ. We find two types of people that are mentioned here in chapter 5. We have the multitudes, and these are those that were intrigued by the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw some novelty in what He was doing. The message that He was preaching was certainly something men had never heard quite preached that way before. And uh, the miracles that he was performing were certainly amazing to watch. And so you had many folks that, while they did not necessarily believe in Christ, they followed to see what he would do. And then we have the disciples. The disciples are mentioned here also in verse number 1. The disciples were those that had given up that which was most dear to them, most precious to them, to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a price to pay to be a disciple. And the message that he preaches as he goes up into the mountain and his disciples follow him up there, and they sit down and he begins to teach them, uh, is a message to teach his disciples what it, what it takes to follow him as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we get to verse number 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we taught on that several weeks ago regarding the fact that there has to be an emptying of ourselves. If we're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to follow after His will and to do the things that are most pleasing to Him, there has to be an emptying of ourselves and our own self-centeredness, our own dependency and reliability upon our own efforts. And we've got to say, Lord, I am not able to do these things. I must have Your help and I must have Your strength. 
There needs to be a poorness in spirit that we, we express, that we have in our lives as we understand and realize that uh, we, we cannot uh, learn the things that Christ would want us to learn if we are full of our own thoughts, and our own desires, and our own things that we think about. It's amazing to me how many times throughout the years I've heard people say, well, I know the Bible says this, but, and then they go on to tell me what their thoughts are about it. How many of you would agree with me this morning to, to say that men can make a mistake? Would you agree with that? All right. Uh, how many of you would agree with me this morning that God makes no mistakes? Amen. And uh, the truth of the matter is this. If I'm going to follow somebody's way, I don't want it to be man's way. Uh, sad to say, oftentimes we try to follow our way, don't we? Or sometimes we'll get the New York Times best-selling uh, author that's some religious well-known person in our country, and we'll read his thoughts on it. Can I tell you this? They're fallible. God is never fallible. His Word is never wrong. His Word is never untrue. And so if we're going to pattern our lives, if we're going to anchor our lives to something, there has to be a dependence upon God and God alone. And the poverty that he speaks of here, this poorness of spirit to his disciples, is an emptying of self. Saying, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. I've got to have your will. I've got to follow after the things you teach me. And an idea of being teachable. In verse number 4, it says, Blessed are they that mourn. And we spoke of this, that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's only one thing really that we can mourn over, and that is our sin. In fact, it's the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ mourned over in His earthly ministry. When Jesus wept, it was because of their unbelief. It's because of the fact that there was a sinfulness about these people, and they were not understanding their need of a Savior. So when we, <coughs> when we mourn, we mourn over our sinful condition. The fact that we have sinned. And there ought to be uh, a, 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 an ongoing view of the true sinfulness of sin. There ought to be a brokenness. There ought to be a contrite spirit in our hearts over our failures with the Lord Jesus Christ. And a man who's, or a woman who's going to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ has to get to a place where when we do things wrong according to Scripture, it tears our heart open. It causes us to be uh, grieving over it, to be mourning over it, to be brokenhearted over it. David, who was uh, considered to be a man after God's own heart, committed adultery with Bathsheba, had a child out of wedlock, and had her husband murdered. And yet at the end of his life, God still considered him a man after his own heart. Not because he was without sin, but because David was of a broken and a contrite spirit over his sin. He said, my sin is ever before me. Oh, that we would learn to mourn over our sin and have a view of sin the way God has a view of sin. And unfortunately, in the day we live, so often we like to coddle our sins, don't we? And then verse 5, we dealt with, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The idea of having a humble spirit, not weakness, but taking the thing that God has given to us, our free will, God enables every man to have a wonderful power, a wonderful strength called our free will. And God doesn't want us to give our will to Him because we are obligated to. God does not want us to give our will to Him because we are forced or made to. God wants us to take our will and to willingly bring it to Him. And say, Lord, I want your will done, not mine. 
It's not an issue of weakness, but an issue of meekness. Lord, your will, not mine. And then verse 6, we studied, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You mark it down that if you find somebody who has trusted Christ as their Savior, and they don't have a hunger and a thirst for the things of the Lord, they don't enjoy reading their Bibles, they don't enjoy going to church, they don't enjoy the fellowship of God's people, you can mark it down. It's because they've been snacking on things of the world and filling their appetite with things other than the things of God. And there is no more hunger left for the things of God. And we need to learn to, uh, to uh, feast upon the things that are good for us spiritually, upon God's Word, upon the things of the Lord. And I found this, that the more we feast on those things, the more we enjoy them. And the more hungry we, the more thirsty we are for them. And then we dealt last week with blessed are the merciful. We spoke of God's mercy and how we are to pattern our lives the way that Christ showed mercy to us. We are to be merciful to others. We're going to be a, a, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ these things have to deal with what we are. The first three that we dealt with were dealing with the inner man. As we got to verse number 6 in the fourth beatitude, it now starts to deal with what we do outwardly. And can I say this, that what we do outwardly is always going to be a reflection of our heart. It's always going to be a reflection of what we are on the inside. The inner man, God deals with the disciples first on that. And then he says, now that the inner man is straightened out, let's start dealing with the things that need to be done outwardly. That brings us to verse number 8, as he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One of the most profound things that I think is something we oftentimes do not like to think about, but we need to think about, is the fact that every single one of us sitting here today are sinners. We've we've, uh, sinned against God in our lifetime. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are sinners by nature. It's interesting, I mentioned this last Sunday, uh, when you are specializing in a certain skill or talent, you become known by that skill or talent. For instance... Uh, if you're good at building, you may become a carpenter or a contractor. Uh, if you're good at plumbing, you become a plumber. If you're good at electrical, you become an electrician. If you're good at engineering, you're known as an engineer. Can I tell you this, that mankind are known as sinners. It's what we specialize in. It's what we, by nature, do. And I'll say this, sadly, that it is what we are best at. However, when we get saved... I'm thankful that the Bible tells us that God makes a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And the Christian life is this simple, and it really does boil down to one decision. My will or God's will. You say, well, I struggle in the Christian life, Pastor. I just don't know how to live. Give your will to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll know how to live. Get to the place where you say, Lord, I want to read and find out from your book what your will is, what your desire for me is, and I want to follow it wholeheartedly. And as I follow your will, I'm going to have victory in the Christian life. Because how many of you would agree with me that man is fallible, man can be wrong? (laughs) How many of you would agree with me that God can never be wrong? If I'm going to try to figure out how I'm going to live my life, I don't want to certainly do it by some book that some man wrote that says, here's how you live your life and get victory over sin. I really don't. I, I, I may respect that man, but I really don't care what he says about that. Because what I'm going to go to is I'm going to come to this book, which I know is not fallible, 
it cannot make a mistake. And I'm going to say, Lord, how do I have victory in the Christian life? How do I live a life that is pleasing to you? And in verse number 8, as he's teaching his disciples these, these things, he's teaching them to be poor in spirit, to be dependent upon him. He's teaching them uh, to, to have meekness and a spirit of taking their will and, and giving it to him. Uh, and he teaches them about what they are on the inner man uh, and how that they need to have a, a, a mournfulness for their sin. And then he says, fellas, once you're that way, and I believe each of these begin to build one on top of the other, that they are a progressive step in the Christian life, that we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we begin to, to show mercy as God has shown us mercy. And then the Bible tells us in verse number 8 that blessed are the pure in heart. I'm thankful when we get saved that the Lord Jesus Christ makes us a new creature. The sad thing of the matter is this, the old man, the flesh nature, does not disappear. He is still there. He's still there. Hold your place here in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to come back, and I want us to look at several passages of Scripture. We're going to use our Bibles a little bit today, so keep them handy. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter number 17. Jeremiah chapter number 17. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter number 17. Let's look in verse number 9, if you will. Jeremiah writes this, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. When the Bible tells us in verse number 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, there's something we must recognize and understand, that the thing that is most prone and apt in us to be done, the thing that we are best at, is to have a heart that is deceitful and that it is desperately, the Bible says, wicked. In fact, in the days of Noah, it talks about the fact that during that time period, man did that which was right in his own eyes, and the imagination, every imagination of the heart was only evil continually. Every thought of their heart was only evil continually. And if we're not careful, we will allow our own hearts to deceive, and we will cause ourselves to, to not have purity of heart. Uh, there is a deceitfulness that takes place here. And by the way, I want to talk about this for a moment, that it is one thing for us to deceive others. We can certainly clean up the outside of the cup, and the Pharisees were such as this. The Pharisees, during the time of Christ, began to, to, to do things outwardly that were very clean. In fact, if you take time to study all of the New Testament, you won't find one time in Scripture where Christ condemns them for what their outward condition was. In fact, He commends them. He says, outwardly you're clean. But He condemns them for what they were on the inside. He says, listen, you guys are whitewashing a sepulcher, and inside you're full of dead men's bones. He says, you're, you're washing, he uses the analogy of a cup and a dish, and he says, you're, you're washing the outside of it, and he said, what you need to do first is clean the inside of it. Because he understood this fact that you can, you can make an appearance of purity without the heart being pure. By the way, we're living in a day where I fear that many times in our churches and in our Christian lives, we put so much uh, time and emphasis and, and, and pressure 
peer pressure on people to conform outwardly to a sense of purity that we do not ever touch on the nerve of the fact, which is the fact that we need to have a purity of heart. I was watching a fellow this week as I was studying some of this. I came across a video that he used an illustration of a glass of water and he brought in uh, some, uh, some antifreeze from a car and he brought in some Roundup. Those things are nasty things. And he took an eyedropper and he dropped a few drops in the, in the glass of water. And you couldn't even tell. In fact, if you looked at the water as he put those things in there, there was no change in the appearance of it. But there was something different about its purity, wasn't there? What used to be pure no longer would we even touch because it was unpure. And while it is possible sometimes for us to put on an outward sign of purity, and that's the problem is the heart, the issues of the heart are the most concealed issues in the Christian life. The sins of the mind and the sins of the heart are the most common sins among Christians because we believe no one else sees them. Notice what he says here in verse number 9 of Jeremiah chapter 17. The heart is deceitful above what? Above what? Above all things. There is nothing in this world any more deceitful than the heart of a man. It is the most deceitful thing that there is, so much so that he says this, and desperately wicked... There's a desperation for it to be prone to wickedness. And he made the, the statement, who can know it? Can I tell you this, that while our heart can deceive others, the saddest thing is that it can deceive ourselves. We can get to thinking that we are fine and that we are pure and that there is purity in us. And the truth is, we are deceived by our own hearts sometimes. Notice what he says in verse number 10. <coughs> I, the Lord, search the heart. I can look at you and I'll tell you this, I may be impressed with you outwardly. By the way, you can look at me as a pastor of this church and you may say, Pastor, uh, boy, I believe you're, you're right with the Lord or I believe you're living a godly life. The truth is you don't see my heart. I, 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 there are times I look at my heart and I think, boy, how wicked and ungodly it is. And God brings that conviction oftentimes as I fail Him. And the, the sad fact of the matter is, I don't even know the half of it. Because God sees it even clearer than I do. By the way, God sees yours too. He sees it clearer than you do. He is the one in verse 10 that says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his doings. Look with me in Matthew chapter number 15 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 15. Matthew chapter number 15, verse number 16. And Matthew 15, verse 16. And Jesus said, are you also yet without are you also yet without understanding? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out in the draw? And he's speaking here of physical impurity, he's speaking of uh, things that would uh, cause and contaminate the body. He says, Those things enter in at the mouth, go into the belly and cast out in the draw, but those things 
which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the what? Come forth from the what? The heart. Notice what he says here. And they, what? Defile a man. It's not what goes in our mouth that defiles us. It is what the product of our heart is that defiles us. These things, God says, are very, very important that we understand the matter. Look with me in Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 5. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 5. Paul is speaking here. In verse 5, he says this, "...for they, after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh." But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot... Do we see that? Cannot please God. And Jesus is teaching His disciples, blessed are they, or blessed are the pure in heart. If we understand Scripture the way that we've just looked at it and, and realize the depraved, the depraved nature and the depravity of our own hearts, how in the world could we ever accomplish this? How could we get to the place where our hearts are pure? By the way, God would never command us to do something that we are not able to be able to, be able to accomplish. He expects there to be a purity of heart. But we've got to understand the wickedness of our own heart in and of itself. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians in your New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. And let's look in verse number 5 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 5. Christ is teaching His disciples, you need to be pure in heart. But from what we understand of Scripture, our hearts are desperately wicked. They're impure by nature. How can we get this purity of heart? Let's look in verse number 5. Paul says this, "...casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into..." What's the next word here? Bringing into what? "...captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." Paul understood this thing, that there was a vileness to his own nature and that there was a need to bring into captivity, to wrestle it, and to say, I want to make sure that every thought, every imagination is not evil continually like it was in Noah's day, but that every thought and every imagination of the heart be brought into conformity with God's will. Now, this is the goal. This is what we're wanting to do because He tells His disciples, I want you to be pure in heart. 
There, there are some things that we need to understand in order for us to accomplish this from Scripture. There are some things that God gives us. He gives us some tools. He gives us some understanding of how to get to the place of being pure in heart. And it doesn't mean we're going to be pure, perfect. But it does mean there's going to be a sense of purity that is in the inner man, this desire to be pure. Let's take a look at a couple of things here. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Psalms is the middle of the Bible, largest book in the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So shortly after the book of Psalms. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And let's look in verse number 14. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse number 14. For God shall bring... What's the next five-letter word there? Every work into judgment with every what? Secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Can I tell you this? There are the works that we do with our hands, and then there are the secret and inner thoughts of the heart. Both will be judged by God one day. You say, how do I, how do I bring my thoughts into captivity? I believe the first thing is we need to live every moment of every day with the realization that God sees my heart. God sees it. And He is going to judge it. As God's people, we pride ourselves sometimes on our holy outward efforts. And I'm not saying don't, don't try to live holy outwardly because the Bible teaches that too. But I want us to make sure that we don't do that at the expense and the priority of the heart. Why? Because God sees it. In fact, we can convince ourselves. We can convince ourselves. Let me say it one more time. We, us sitting here, can convince ourselves that our heart is pure. And God may know differently. God may look at that cup of water and say, no, there's some antifreeze in there and there's some Roundup in there. By the way, let me help you with something here. When the heart is contaminated, do you know that you and I cannot pull that contamination out of the heart by ourselves? Any more than we could reach into that glass of water and pull the antifreeze out or the Roundup out. But aren't you glad God can? He can do a what the Bible refers to as a supernatural work. He can do what the Bible refers to, and he uses this word, a transforming work. Look with me in Romans chapter 12. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Many of us can quote it by heart. But look in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The idea of living a holy life and living a life that is acceptable to God is not an extraordinary thing to ask. It is reasonable. It's the norm of the Christian life. It's not something that preacher gets up and preaches on it and you sit there and say, boy, I'm going to do that and I'm going to be an exceptional Christian. No, <clears throat> if you live holy and you live acceptable unto God, 
people are going to look at you and just say, well, that's what a Christian should be. That's not exceptional. That's just the norm of the Christian life. And be ye not conformed to this world, verse number 2, but be ye, what's the word that's used here? Transformed. By the renewing of your what? Hmm. How in the world am I going to have purity of heart? I'm not going to do it by conforming by my efforts to a particular type of purity. I'm going to do it by having my heart transformed by the renewing of my mind. So let's think about this for a moment. Look with me in Philippians chapter number 4 for a minute. Let's think about this for a minute. When I was a young person in high school, I, uh, <clears throat> I enjoyed working with computers. They were just coming out. That kind of ages me a little bit. But home computers were kind of just becoming a thing. And um, I, I was wanting to learn how to program them. And back then, we didn't have hard drives, and we didn't know what a megabyte was or a gigabyte or a terabyte. They were all like kilobytes or something like that. And, uh, but we had a term. It was, the term was an acronym. It was GIGO, G-I-G-O. And what it meant was garbage in, garbage out. In other words, if I program that computer with a bunch of gibberish and garbage... The only thing that computer do can do is output garbage. Can I tell you this? As we look in Philippians chapter number 2, if you will. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter number 4. And let's look in verse number 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Finally, brethren, notice what Paul says here. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are... What's the next word here? Pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Why? Because our heart will become what we feed our minds. What our minds are most focused on is a reflection of the heart. What we feed through the eye gate... And through the ear gate will cause this heart to become something. If I feed it good, it will become good. If I feed it purity, it will become pure. If I feed it garbage, it will become vile and infected. That's why it's so important we watch the things that are pleasing to God. The psalmist said he made a covenant with his eyes that he would set no wicked thing before them. By the way... That'd be a good covenant for every one of us today to make. In the day we live, it is so prevalent in our society, so readily available that we be careful what we put in the eye gate. In fact, Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, the Bible says that he was a just man, and the Bible says that just Lot, this man who was just, vexed his righteous soul by seeing and hearing the wickedness of Sodom every day. He fed in the eye gate and he fed in the ear gate the wickedness of Sodom, and it vexed his righteous soul. It affected what he was on the inner man. 
You say, how do I have purity of heart? How do I get to this place of being a disciple of Christ and saying, I want my heart to be pure? Then we need to understand and live with the recognition that God sees my heart and I'm accountable to Him for it. Secondly, we need to saturate our minds and feast upon that which is pure and abstain from that which is evil. Now, I know you have to go about your life, and I know that going down the interstate, there may be a sign or a billboard, and you may be exposed to those things. And I understand that we have to be in the world, but not of the world as a Christian. But what I'm getting at here today is that our appetite for fleshly things, the worldly things, is so strong in us. It's the thing that we do best. We are sinners by nature. It is part of our very character. We are prone to have an appetite for those things and to feast upon them. So I'm not talking about the things that happen along the wayside as we go through life. I'm talking about the moments where we sit down and intentionally put things of wicked nature in front of our eyes and in front of our ears. And it happens more often than you think in your life. Oh, that we would learn to have a purity of heart. He says to think on these things. Things that are lovely, things that are true, things that are honest, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are of a good report. Look with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. <coughs> you say, how do, I, how do I fill my life? How do I saturate my mind? With good things, with pure things. Let's take a look at this. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 26. The Bible says that he might sanctify and cleanse. Let's back up verse number 25 so you get the gist of it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and, what's the next word here? Cleanse it. So the impurities, the imperfections that are in us, He is able to cleanse us. In fact, the Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to, what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That helps us get to a purity of heart. He's able to clean the imperfections out of our life. Look what He says here in verse number 26. That He might sanctify and cleanse it. Now, here's how He does it. With the washing of water by the what? Word. How do I saturate my life with things of purity? Put Scripture in here. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Listen to it. Have it on all the time. If you struggle with a sinful nature and you can't seem to get victory over it, and you're struggling with this purity of heart, saturate your life. With the Word of God. It's the tool that God uses to cleanse the sin from us. Look with me in Ephesians chapter number 4, just back a chapter in verse number 23. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 23. He says, And be renewed in the spirit of your what? Mind. How do we do that? By putting the things of God in our hearts. 
You ever notice this? It is really difficult to sin when you're reading the Bible. You ever tried it? Don't, don't go home and try it. I'm not telling you to go try to sin. You ever notice that it's difficult to sin when you're reading the Bible? You know this? I found this to be true. It's hard to sin when you're singing a song out of the hymn book. Your thoughts and your heart are on the things of the Lord. It's hard to sin when you're sitting there listening to preaching. Why? Because we're feasting. We're feeding that, that inner man with the things of the Lord. Look with me in Psalm 119, very familiar passage. We've quoted it many times. Psalm 119, verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? That's what we want to do, right? You can be impressed that you're referred to as a young man here, okay? Or a young woman in this case. Alright, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy what? According to thy word, with my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. What is the sign of seeking God with the whole heart? Following his commandments. How do we know his commandments? We have to read his word. You cannot tell me today that you are seeking God with your whole heart and not read your Bible. It cannot happen. Look what in verse number 11 says, Thy word, thy word have I hid in my heart. That I might not, what? Sin. And you see, where does he hide it? Does he say, I, thy word have I hid on my coat or on my shirt? Thy word have I hid on my hands that I might not sin? It's not about the outward condition. Thy word have I hid where? Where are we supposed to be pure? The heart. But wait a minute. Isn't my nature to be a sinner? Absolutely. Is my heart desperately wicked above all things? Yes, it is. Is it deceitful? Yes, it is. Can it deceive you? Yes, it can. How do I then have purity of heart? Saturate my life with the Word of God. Read it. Study it. Listen to it. Pour over it. Why? Because God promises that His Word will cleanse the heart. It'll take the impurities out and allow the heart to be pure. By the way, only God can do that. You and I cannot. All we can do is read the Scriptures. The transforming work has to be done by God inwardly. The purity of heart is not how well you clean up the outside of the vessel. The purity of heart is determined by how much we feast and saturate our hearts with the Word of God. Look with me in Philippians chapter 3. We're almost done. Bear with me. I know we're going a few minutes over today. We had a lot going on today. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 in verse number 15. But therefore, as many as be perfect... Now, this word perfect doesn't mean without sin. It's an English word that was used back in the time of this translation to deal with the idea of being more mature or to be well-equipped, to not be a novice at. And he says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, 
be thus minded, and if in anything we be otherwise minded, let God, uh, God shall reveal even this unto, uh, unto you. Well, what's thus minded? What are we supposed to be thinking about? Well, let's look at the verse right in front of it. I press toward the what? Mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's the mark? To be like Christ. He said those that are mature, those that are grown in the Christian life, are those that understand this truth. That we are to press for that mark. Am I going to be 100% successful all the time at it? No. But the perfectness of my heart is going to have a desire for those things. And it's going to cause me to make every effort. The idea of pressing means to give the energy, to give the, the straining for. It was used oftentimes as a word that meant that was used in the races that were run at that last step or two as the runner would stretch or press for the finish tape to exert every ounce of strength that we have. We began to mature in the Christian life. We began to pursue purity of heart. Not because we have to but because we want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we understand that the thing that makes Him happy, the thing that brings glory to Him, is to live the way He's teaching His disciples to live in Matthew chapter number 5. In Titus chapter 2, the Bible says that He purified unto Himself a peculiar people. He did the purifying, not them. He purified unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now let's look back in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be done. He tells His disciples in verse number 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You ever notice this? That the more pure our hearts become, the clearer we see God. Contrary to that, the more spotted and sinful our hearts become, the less we see Him. There is a desire in the heart of every person that has trusted Christ as their Savior. <coughs> to pursue after the things of the Lord, to saturate their lives with things of the Lord. But there is also a desire in every person that has trusted Christ as their Savior to continue to live after the carnal man and the carnal nature. We're going to follow one or the other. And my, 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 my message this morning is simply this. The one that we will succumb to, the one that we will give our strength to, is the one that we feed the most. Am I feeding the flesh? Or am I feeding the heart with the purity of God's Word? I had a fellow a number of years ago came to me. He had been in 
several churches, several ministries, had gone to several pastors, had shared something that in his life was a, what the Bible refers to as a besetting sin. He couldn't seem to get victory over it. He'd struggled with it. It, it, it broke his heart that he couldn't seem to get victory over it. <coughs> I didn't know what to tell him the day he came. I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that. At the time, I was a young preacher, did not understand everything about uh, this type of situation, but I, I, he sat there and he shared his heart with me and he wept and he said, I, I, Pastor, I just really am struggling getting victory over this sin. And I said, Brother, I, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. I said, I need some time. I said, can you give me a day or two? So I want to spend some time praying and seeing what the Bible has to say and see if there's something we can find that will be a help. <coughs> I spent the next day praying a lot about it and thinking. And I remember in the late hours of the night laying in bed and, and Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11 that we read today came to heart. I could quote them back and forth. I had known them since I was a teenager. And as I thought on those things, I thought, you know, if, if it'll cleanse the heart of a young man, it'll cleanse the heart of an old man too. And all of a sudden I thought, you know, the, the answer is right before us. The, the more we feed one appetite, the less the other one has a hold on us. I went back into the office the next day and I called him in. I said, Brother, I'll tell you, I think, I think here's what I can show you from Scripture will help. And I said, I want you to start saturating your life with Scripture. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you to do some things that are going to be very difficult. You're going to look at them and say, boy, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I started giving him a list of things. I said, I want you to memorize one Scripture a day, every day. Get your three-by-five card, write a verse of Scripture on it that you do not know, and memorize it, work on it every day, pull it out multiple times an hour and read it. Say it out loud, walk back and forth, learn it, memorize it. So I want you to read at least a chapter in Scripture a day out loud. At least a chapter. I said, I want you to listen to at least two preaching services a day, every day. I began to give him this list of things and... He's like, boy, that's a lot. I said, okay, do you want victory over it or do you not? Because the Bible taught us that God's Word has the cleansing effect. It is the thing that will, that will purify the heart. He tells His disciples, He says, listen, fellas, you're not just the multitudes here. You guys are, you guys are the ones that are serious. Y'all are the ones that have given up your boats and your nets. And you've said, Lord, I want to follow You. You're the ones that have even left your families behind and said, I want to follow You. He said, if that's what you want, here's how you do it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I wonder if we give that kind of effort to being pure of heart. Imagine what this world would be like if everyone that named the name of Christ understood this truth and saturated themselves with the Word of God. I wonder if this world would be any different. 
I wonder if our neighborhoods would be different, our cities, our towns, our states. I wonder if our churches would be different. I wonder if our families would be different. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, I pray that you would take the message and speak to hearts. Lord, we've done our best today. We've done all I know to do. To bring the point of this truth across. And Father, having done all I can do, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do what I cannot. Lord, help us to understand this. To learn from it. That it will make a difference and an effect in 